Please, Aslan, said Lucy, can anything be done to save Edmund? All shall be done, said Aslan, but it may be harder than you think. And then he was silent again for some time. Up to that moment, Lucy had been thinking how royal and strong and peaceful his face looked. But now it suddenly came into her head that, that he looked sad as well. But the next minute, that expression was quite gone. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. I'm Kel. Thank you guys for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are talking about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe today, but spoiler warning, more generally for the Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we talk about all sorts of other stories that we like, and we'll do our best to give a heads up along the way if there's anything too spoilery, but either way, heads up. Uh, today, we are discussing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chapter 12, Peter's First Battle. What a battle it is. Uh, to give us a quick chapter summary, uh, the children, the Pevensey children, the three that are not with the White Witch, and the beavers are walking into what felt like a delicious dream. They left their coats behind and marveled at the lovely sights and smells bursting forth around them as winter vanished into spring. It was as if a few hours had passed from January into May, and though they didn't know yet that it was Aslan's doing, they did know that it meant something that had gone wrong for the witch, and she could not... She could no longer use her sledge. Interesting. Uh, as they continued to hike, they continued to get tired. But Mr. Beaver assured them it was not far now, and they continued uphill. And just as Lizzie thought she couldn't climb anymore, they realized that they were at the top. They looked out upon a green open space from which you could see the forest and the sea. And in the middle of the open hilltop was the stone table. I wonder if that's going to come into play later. It looked very old, a large slab of gray stone supported by four upright stones cut all from strange lines and symbols and markings. And they also saw a pavilion pitched on one side made from yellow silk with crimson cords and flying a banner with a red rampant line. Aslan stood in the center of a crowd of creatures that had grouped around him in a half moon, otherwise known as a semicircle formation. Uh, there were also uh, there were many strange and magical creatures, but what they really couldn't help but notice was Aslan himself. They were terrified, but in a good way, by the sight of the great lion. They decided that Peter must go first, and Aslan welcomed them all by name. He asked where the fourth was, knowing very well where he is, uh, and then he said that he had to join the White Witch. Peter admitted that he thought it was his fault, and Lucy asked if anything could be done to save Edmund. To this, Aslan responded that all should be done but it's going to be harder than they think. Aslan has a feast prepared for them and then takes Peter to show him the castle where he will be king. Also, his siblings will also join him. Uh, they looked out to where Narnia meets the sea and saw the glittering castle of Caerperivel, and Aslan explained that he will rule alongside his siblings, but as the eldest, he will be high king above the rest. And as they're enjoying this beautiful sight, they suddenly hear the blast of a horn, Susan horn. Uh, it's only like we just read about this a couple chapters ago. They go and find Susan being attacked by a huge gray beast, a wolf, Magrim. Uh Peter rushes in with his sword, and although he doesn't feel brave, he faces the beast and kills it. Peter gets up from the struggle, shaking and tired, and he and Susan embrace with tears after the scare. Aslan tells the centaurs and eagles to follow another wolf back to the witch where they will be able to find the fourth son of Adam. 
He then reminds Peter to clean his sword and then asks him to hand it to him and kneel. Aslan knights him, Sir Peter Wolfsbane, and tells him that whatever happens, Chase, whatever happens, never forget to clean your sword. And then the chapter ends. Yeah, and that brings us to the theme of this chapter, which is clean swords, full hearts can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's uh, it's perfect. Uh, exactly what what is what's the actual theme of this chapter? I would say the theme of this chapter is arrival. For our our children are arriving. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've arrived at the point of meeting Aslan, and Peter has arrived at the point where he is going to kill a giant bear wolf. Mm, true, true. It it is kind of that like okay transition point turning point of looking forward into the rest of the book and what they're all what they're all there for the reason yeah. we showed up to this book too uh but one thing that i want to know at the beginning of this book and i saw that you have some questions about this too aren't kingfisher bluebells and thrush pokemon Alright, so for the listener, uh, I know the, that the, doesn't make any sense to people listening the, to this podcast. If you're if you're not reading along with us, the children look around and start pointing out kingfishers and bluebells and thrushes and yeah, like if, if these aren't Pokemon, I'm pretty sure these are birds. Of I some think they sort. might actually be Pokemon, though. To they be might be, but like my first thought was like, I'm pretty sure these are like birds or flowers or something. And it's like my first thought was yes. These are things that children would know, for but sure. That's the thing, though. I know these things. <laughs> Neither of us know what these are. They could be birds. They could be flowers. Who knows? Like, could we have done the research? Maybe. Absolutely not. But it's early, not. Chase. Again, I was writing, which I say again, I said this last chapter last podcast. podcast. Yeah. I was writing my notes for this at 5.30, uh, 6.30 this morning. So. Do you think we're going to look up what you know bluebells are no that's an ice cream chase they yeah, don't have that great ice cream this is foolish why are they even talking about bluebell here it's yeah. not growing in the spring it would melt this is ridiculous <laughs> yeah uh, if anything we need winter to stay around bring so back the, the white wish so that the bluebell can stay <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah c.s lewis just loves an overly specific not helpful detail like no. this is just him writing something for himself. I think these are his favorite birds. And he's like, I want the world to know my favorite birds. They're bluebells. C.S. Lewis loves a good walk outside in the countryside. So these are probably just his, his like bird watching, which actually that does explain the last His bird watching journal made its way into the Chronicles of Narnia. He's like, oh shoot. Well, his bird watching journal was the last six pages of last chapter. He forgot that he was writing a book and then accidentally included his journal. And he's like, well, it's already in there. Yep. So. You know, you can't edit books just like Throw you can't edit podcasts. Can't do it. Uh, and then so the, the children realized and they thought it was interesting that it seems like the whole wood went from January to May in a few hours. And then I realized, oh, Narnia is Texas. Yeah. This makes sense. We've experienced that this week and the yeah. week before and the week Going before Going from 30 that. to 80 in yeah. a matter of hours. I'm I'm wearing like full on sweats, long sleeves right now, and by one p.m. today, it will probably be eighty five degrees, and I'll be sweating. Bro, it, I don't know about it, what DFW is looking like right now. It literally hailed last night. Yeah, like yeah. in Austin, and I it's going to, to be like eighty eighty five. Yeah, it's that's just how it goes. Honestly, it's so Texas weather, Narnia. Narnian weather. We live in Narnia, also. 
the, the devastating effects of global warming. January to, to May in a matter of hours. hours. This, is, this is what we're looking forward to, our, our children's children, the future mm. rulers of Narnia. Sorry, guys. Well, it is what it is. But they uh, so in this half realization. Our, half our listeners at the acknowledgement of uh, global warming. Sorry, Narnia is global warming. We're oh, fine. Yeah. Nar- Narnia even... and warming. This is yeah. really Aslan's coming. So it's the, we, it's it's the drying up of the pool. Don't uh, buy an electric car if you want Aslan to come. Bingo. Um, so in the midst of these realizations, they also take a huge logical leap because uh, they go, oh, yeah, because the like it's melting, the witch won't be able to use her sledge, and we can take our time and rest and hurry. This is this is ridiculous to me because, one, how do they know the, the witch is using a sledge? Like, also, she's the queen of Narnia. Do, do you assume she doesn't have, like, a chariot or just, like, riding war horses or something like that? Like, like I feel like she'd have a way of transportating herself uh, yeah, without witch- a sleigh. Which, but then also, she has a giant pack of bear-sized wolves, Chase. Yeah, that's fair. But also, like, look, they're full of assumptions. They left their coats on the ground because we're just littering now. And, uh... Yeah, if you were wondering, you know, whenever we entered Narnia, you know, about those coats being returned, they're not going to be. No, they were left in the woods forever. Which has to be shocking if you're an animal, a talking animal, just walking through the woods in Narnia, and you come across just a pile of, of carcasses. <laughs> it's just thrown uh, across the wood floor. This is flagrant carelessness. This is a problem. This is not good. But you know what else is a problem, Chase? That C.S. Lewis lets us know about. Susan has a blister on one heel. Oof. And then it, let's move on. It is uh, a bad time. Because that's what because that's what C.S. Lewis does. He brings it up. For no reason. Yeah. And then he just immediately moves on. This is like the thrushes. We didn't need to know it, but Who I cares? guess it's there. Like, like, why is this a big deal? And then it says when they, you know, they left the course of the river and then they turned right, which means south to go to the, so to, like, CS is, what do you, like, we don't know any of these things. Yeah. Like, you did far more work than I did to know that that was south. Well, he, Look, at he, least we only get one a page and a half of walking this time instead of that's true 10 pages eventually you run out of room i mean i guess he's he's only dealt the whole past like three chapters of walking yeah. so they're gonna walk right out of narnia into archon like what are they doing they're, narnia can't be that big because there's apparently no humans there uh but whatever um so we we go right to the stone table uh, and they make their way up to the top of this hill, thank God, because Lucy was exhausted, uh, and she was about to crumble until she realized, oh, we're at the top of this hill. And they begin to look around, and you can see in all directions, and you know, to the east, by gum, the sea. Thank you, British yes. Peter. Yes, I do need to buy more gum. Thank you for reminding me. By gum. It was a command. Yes. Uh, so I, the east I will is obey the sea. later today. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, which I assume is south, uh, just based on what we were talking about, is the stone table. Um, huh. That's neat. I wonder if that'll be important later, as it's the name of the place we're at right now. And also mm. the most elaborately described object in the scene, even though we don't see it again for the rest of the chapter. Dude, so I have to get a paragraph interest- description for this, and it's not mentioned again. 
I have some interesting geographical notes here, right? So he goes out of his way to describe the geographical nature of this location. He says the stone table is right in the middle. And then above that is, is the like tent and the like big, you know, area where all of Aslan's people have uh, come together. You see a big banner with a red rampant lion on it. wonder who that could be. Um, Aslan's just out here rampant. But like, so spoiler alert for the rest of this book, if you, and if you've never, if you don't know what happens, right? So Aslan in the next few chapters is going to sacrifice himself. He's going to give himself up to the white witch and she is what? going to murder him on said stone table. He's going to do this in the middle of the night so that none of Aslan's people are aware of it. But do you like, like this is right next to where they are. Like the stone table is apparently within viewing distance of the pavilion. So, this is actually really crazy because, like, and the tent is above it. We used to live in the same apartment. We yeah. we shared a wall. We shared a bathroom. Sure. If I'm in my room and yep. someone in the room next to me, like walks out, like goes to the bathroom or like is even like in the kitchen. Like I can hear what's going on from my room. Sure. A tent has thinner walls than an apartment. Some would say they don't have do. walls. It's yeah. a curtain. Yeah. Tents are made out of cloth. Fabric. <laughs> and so the idea that the witch would be able to have like a whole like party of She's going like, nuts about characters with torches and i think there's drums involved and knives and probably cheering with murder like, it is a like i i am having flashbacks to the movie scene of this right now which is like a full-on party scene yeah like it looks like austin on halloween yeah and it's, it's sixth uh, street with yeah. murder Sixth Street with murder, which I, I'll have. It's just also known as Sixth Street. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure the rates have been going down lately. You can't really bow and party right now, so I'm sure, like you know, that's good. I mean, but, people still are, but you're not supposed yeah. to right now. But all this to note, like this is like he C.S. Lewis creates problems for himself by yeah. putting too much description because it's like. He could yes, have we need to know it. about the stone hill or the stone table, and we need to know about this pavilion. But like, don't make them in view of each other. Yeah, he could have even just made it like the movie and said like, and then through a grove of trees was yeah. the tent with the banner. Because in the movie, like, it looks like they they have to take like a journey to get there. Yeah, they walk in the night, like they're it's they're not, gonna. It's not a have cheese to roll down a hill. It. Yeah, like it. But he makes it seem like you walk out the front door of the tent and suddenly you're at the table. Yeah. Like the table is where they're feasting. And like it's 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 weird. But then we come to this scene, and it's a really weird way, in my opinion, to introduce Aslan. Because the paragraph starts with Aslan stood in the center of a crowd of creatures who had grouped themselves. This is our first introduction of seeing Aslan in person. And then after using that line. They then describe he then describes the creatures, which yeah. in the middle of these creatures, he mentions a I'm just gonna say this and then move on. He goes, a bull with the head of a man. Uh, what kind of nightmare is this, Chase? Oh, like well, if you want to talk about nightmares, we gotta talk about the picture in the book. 
that I I have, and I will show you in a minute. But before we get there, do you like with the welcoming party? Yeah. Do you think they had a meeting beforehand about where everyone was going to stand to get that crisp half moon Dumbledore's glasses shape? And and also, like, what if they had approached from a different direction and they just saw, like, Aslan's butt first? Yeah, this is very well organized for them just casually walking up, even though they had no set time for when they were going to get there. Right. But also, let me... This is not good audio content, but I have to show you this I will describe what I see. Because I have thoughts. Dude, yeah. The okay, so for the reader, it's a it's a picture of Aslan with a bunch of weird looking, like demonic looking creatures on there. They're different colors. They look evil. Like yeah. these look like evil like spirit demons or like, you know, like none of these creatures look friendly. Yeah, they they honestly look like the witches' statues. There's also a weird amount of nudity in the picture, which children's book. Like, but also in addition to that, every fawn and male figure that isn't wearing clothes conveniently has a tall bird standing right in front of them to cover their junk. Thank you, Lord. I, at the end of the day, I am just wondering who spent this much time on this scene, this page, and it turned out terrifying. That was is, C.S. Lewis trying to include his kingfisher. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Those are some bluebells. Uh, he, he, bl- he blocked out the thrush with the bird. It's yes. fine. Oh, wait. No, hold on. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there's terrifying descriptions and pictures. Um, but again, weird way to introduce Aslan. Because if I'm thinking through this, right? Because it goes, he says, Aslan's here. And then it describes all of these creatures. And then they're like, but now let's talk about Aslan. For me, it's like, I would introduce this as saying, let's introduce that there's a large crowd and they're, they're gathered around something and it's mysterious. And then the creatures start parting because they see these human children walking in. And then boom, that's when you see Aslan. Don't say, oh, look, there's Aslan. Let's talk about these creatures. And then Aslan. Yeah. Like, that's, it's a weird thing for me. Yeah, this like, is bad. This would be bad filmmaking if you did it that way of like starting in the middle and then panning left and right. You got to you got to start wide and then go to the center. Yeah, it's it's strange. But then we get to, you know, for for the bad writing that just happened, I will give CS Lewis credit here to a really really beautiful paragraph. Again, his descriptions of Aslan are really good. He like I lo- like for me, those are some of my favorite parts in the book is when he's just talking about Aslan. And of course, the reason for this is because this is supposed to be him talking about Jesus, about God. And like, of course, it's supposed to be the best stuff. But he goes, but Aslan, but as for Aslan himself, the beavers and the children didn't know what to do or say when they saw him. People who have not been in Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes. And then they found that they couldn't look at him and went all trembly. Mm. Like, this is a great description where it's like this idea of being like good and so dangerous. Like, this is is accurate, you know? And so I I like this description of Aslan. I just wish that 
this was the introduction of Aslan and not saying, and then there's Aslan and a bunch of creatures, but let's talk about Aslan. Yeah, it's like, so Aslan was there, and also look at the formation of his people and look at all this the stuff around man. him. Okay, now let's go back and talk about Aslan. It's, yeah, it's, it is a weird setup, but you're right. That is a super beautiful scene. There's a few beautiful scenes in this set, but first they've got to argue about who's going to go first to talk it's to so Aslan. Stupid. <laughs> Which also, like, look. I, I know children play this game where if you cover your eyes, the other person can't see you anymore. But it turns out Aslan can see you. Like You're telling it, me that when I whisper like this, people can hear me? For, for those who are not on this Zoom call, Kel was holding his hand next to his mouth. Um, was, it, was I not whispering well? My bad. <laughs> I mean, at least they could probably hear you. Uh, but I'm not going to edit the audio on this, so it's going to be fine. Um, but yeah, they like they literally came to here to see Aslan. They know Aslan is expecting them. He's got a whole welcome party out. He can see you standing there arguing about who's going to go talk to him first. At this point, just walk up. It doesn't yeah. matter who's at the front of the line. You don't even have to make a line. Just move in a clump. It's yeah, this- fine. Yeah, this, this, here's how this goes. Mr. Beaver, go on. Peter, no, you first. Mr. Beaver, no. Sons of Adam before animals, obviously. Which, Duh. Is, uh, is that a rule? Like, I, I don't know, stuff Chase. aside, because we already know where the beavers before. are at. Yeah. This Peter. is the first time anyone's ever seen a human. Why do they have etiquette? Like, who knows, man? Whatever. But then he goes, Peter, Susan, what about you? Ladies first. Susan, no, you're the eldest. Peter, dot, 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 dot. Like, he's, he's having these moments of realization. He gets really quiet. And then he's like, all right, and he pulls his sword out and salutes Aslan, and he goes, "Come on, pull, pull. Which, why, do, why do you need to pull your sword out? <laughs> Put it know. away. <laughs> Put it away, Peter." Uh, and he goes, "At least Come clean on. it." <laughs> well, man, thanks to remember. Later. Uh, but he goes, "Come on, pull yourselves together." Yeah, okay, Peter. Like you're the one who was just saying, like, "Hey, anyone else want to go first? Susan, what about you? You're a child. <laughs> Let's feed you to the to the lion." Like, uh, so. He goes, we have come, Aslan. And here is Aslan's introduction. Welcome, Peter, son of Adam. Welcome, Susan and Lucy, daughters of Eve. And my favorite, welcome, he beaver and she beaver. Are their first names he and she? Because that would explain all the weird Mr. He beaver and Mrs. She beaver. Mr. He, comma, beaver. Beaver, comma, he. I'm dying, Chase. He beaver and she beaver. It's so bad, but so good. I just, why? I just, why not just give them names? Why can't it just be like Gerald and and Gerald, Velma? Like, why not Gerald Beaver? <laughs> Gerald F. Beaver, author of your favorite short stories about beavers. He beaver and she beaver, Chase. Uh, it got me. Uh, I just, I don't know if this is this that if that's this funny for like, for like the listener. <laughs> if they don't capitalize he every time they talk about Mr. Beaver from now on, I'm going to be furious. This is why Mr. Beaver uses such weird pronouns because his first name is a pronoun. It's yep, not yep. just, a, it's not even name. It's just he get over here. And if, if he identified as anything else, there'd be a huge problem here. 
It'd be a dilemma, man. Uh, but so then, uh, so it says Aslan's voice was deep and rich, and it took all the fidgets out of them. But then he asks, "Where is the fourth? Meaning, where is the fourth child? Where is Edmund?" And Aslan is well aware. And so this is an I, I like this because this is very reminiscent of God in the Garden with Adam and Eve saying, like. Adam, Eve, where are you? Like, what, like, why are you clothed? Who told you that you were naked? Who, like, why, like, yeah, meanwhile, they're the kids holding their hands in front of their faces saying, you can't see me. Right. And so they say, he is, where is the fort? Because he wants them to tell me. And Mr. Beaver, he Beaver, sorry, as he shall, he Beaver says, he's tried to betray them and join the white witch as a, because rich coming from you turncoat smuggler true aslan giving him a sly look saying we'll talk later yeah he's like are you for real right now uh and so and then he goes like peter and i think this is really admirable and i don't like it's he goes that was partly my fault aslan i was angry with him and i think that helped him to go wrong all this to say edmund is to blame he made these decisions himself, but good for Peter in recognizing the part that he played and owning up to it. Yeah. Like I appreciate this. Yeah, and we and we've talked about that. Like there are definitely reasons that Edmund left. Like mm-hmm. it's not as simple as just, well, he's the evil one, so he's right. gotta go. Like there there were inciting incidents that kind of pushed him over the edge. And it, it is cool to see this kind of moment of confession of saying like, no, like we had a hand in it, but then out of Lucy's mouth, like, how can you help? Like, can you help us? Yes, man. This is, this is probably, I think C.S. Lewis's best foreshadowing right here. Uh, yep. It's again, beautiful writing. As Lucy says, please, Adeline, Adeline, can anything be done? And as it responds, all shall be done, but it may be harder than you think. And then there's a description of his eyes, of his uh, of his face, of how usually Lucy thought it was royal and strong and peaceful, but now he looks really sad. And this is incredible foreshadowing because, as we mentioned, Aslan is going to give himself up to the Y, which not just because he wants to do it, but to save Edmund. He is trading his life. Or Edmund's life. Yeah. Uh, and that is the price that the witch will accept. Which a benefit that we get from reading the books in the order that we have is we know that Aslan has known this was coming since he created Narnia. Yeah. Like ever ever since he sang the song that made all of this exist, he's known that like this isn't just the consequence of Edmund's actions, this is the consequence of Diggory's actions and the witch being brought into Narnia in the first place. Yeah, this is this is really really good writing by C.S. Lewis to be able to reference this huge monumental moment, the biggest moment in Narnia, until you know the spoiler alert end of Narnia. Uh, but like this is this is the biggest moment that w- like is to come, and he's referencing this in a really sweet way without saying like. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to die for him. He's yeah. going like which not is doing a, big... a C.S. Lewis aside, saying, and you know, as the writer, little did they know, know, little did they know that he was gonna have to die later. And, but like, instead, he goes like, 
it's going to be a lot harder than you think. And he gets sad because Aslan would be sad about this. Yeah. This would be a difficult moment just as the resurrection of Jesus was or like the death of Jesus is going to be a thing where like Jesus had to suffer. And like, that's not something that is desired, you know? So I, I love this writing. It's really, really sweet. But then well, now we're going to go look at your castle, mate. <laughs> yeah. Ladies, uh, go, go, go to the pavilion. Uh, go, yeah. be, like, you know, go, go take care of the daughters of Eve. Hey, uh, hey, girls, go stand by yourselves in that field over there. Hey, and do you make want sure protection? that no one's near no. you? Make sure make that sure you're alone. Like, uh, do you don't, want any, don't bring uh, your bow and arrows? Don't bring no. your don't bring your dagger. Just by by yourself. Set, yeah, yeah, right there. Hey, right Peter, there. Next, come next look at the, the castle. Next to the tree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Peter, turn your back. Tur- turn. Turn. All right, come okay, with me. Cool, yeah, cool, cool, this cool. is gonna be great. So. Aslan leads Peter up to the top of this hill and shows him Care Paravel, the castle that they will rule over. Oh, wow, it's so beautiful. It looks like a star in the ocean. I show it to you because you're the first port and you're going to be high king over all the rest. Wow, this is amazing. Oh, oh, your sisters are being attacked by wolves. <laughs> like, and then this is, a, this is an all-time take from Aslan. Uh, he goes, like Peter looks around and he's he's startled because he doesn't understand what's happening. Aslan does. Aslan is a well aware that a giant bear-sized wolf, as he will be described, yeah. and I can't stress that lightly enough, Chase. A bear-sized wolf is attacking his children's sisters. Yeah. And Aslan, a giant lion, goes, "Hey, thirteen-year-old!" Like he he goes back. Let the prince win his spurs. To translate yeah. this. Means thirteen-year-old, go fight that bear-sized wolf. Yeah. Also, like it. There's such a lack of urgency. Where Peter's like, "Wait, what was that noise? It sounded like a bugle." And then Aslan's like, "Oh yeah, that's Susan's horn. You know, the one that calls for help only in danger." Except he doesn't say that. Let's just take a slow stroll over there and see what's happening. They like they're like walking. They're like. Not concerned. At and best, it's a brisk meanwhile. Walk. She's just she's dangling being from a tree by a wolf. Yeah, that is a bear-sized wolf, and bears are huge. Uh, and as we mentioned this last podcast, like Magrim was given the instructions: do not let yourself be seen. Hide and waiting until I, the White Witch, get there. Magrim does not play this cool at all. He immediately makes himself known. He says, "Ooh." child dinner right uh and he immediately goes through the hunt and then peter though he does not feel brave looking at a bear-sized wolf who would as a 13 year old yeah says for the best that he doesn't feel brave in this scene that's how you get killed he felt like he was going to be sick but instead he does the brave thing and the courageous thing and he fights his fear and he goes straight to the monster in front of him and tries to slash at it and misses and we enter into what has got to be the lamest fight scene of all time. Yep. I love that the wolf stops to howl because it's so uh, upset. Exactly. Uh, no, I, it, for some reason, the wolf has to stop to howl in the middle of a fight, which I I own a, a wolf. And yeah. I'm not like saying that in, in an exaggerated way, like my dog is an arctic timber wolf 
and he doesn't stop like playing to howl. He no. only howls when he hears like sirens other or howls. like yeah. other other howls, or if he's really, really, really bored and really wants to get on my nerves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, this is that's not wolf behavior to stop no. in the middle of like wolves are killing machines. So they, they know better. He's like, ah, I could eat this girl. Oh, this boy swiped at me. How Peter stabs Wolf in the heart. Fight over. Yeah. Which, like, there is something about it that I like, that it's not overly dramatic. It's not overly choreographed. Like, it it does capture the weight of killing and warfare. Like, Peter isn't rushing in as the knight in shining armor. He's nervously going in knowing this is what he has to do. He's not, like, victoriously standing up, pumping his fists in the air. He's, like, shaking and and crying and, like, recovering from, like, killing for the first time. The lead-up to... is is cool. The lead-up to and the reaction to the fight are great. The fight itself is terrible. This is a giant bear-sized wolf. Captain of the SS Gestapo, secret police of the White Witch, trained killing machine. How does Peter not get devoured immediately? How did Peter, an untrained swordsman of a 13-year-old, stab a bear-sized wolf through the chest with no damage? He didn't even get swiped at or nipped at. Also, like you, you mentioned Cap- Captain of the Secret Police. Like this wolf has experience taking down captives and like lead it. Like this is an experienced combatant, and versus a kid who's yeah. never held a sword before today. Yeah, I, I guess we just didn't have enough pages like in the repertoire to be able to have a full fight scene. We spent them all on walking. Spent them all on walking through slush, man. Uh, you wasted your time, CS. But Mogram yeah. should never ha- like. There's for me. There's two. There's two results here. One, Mogram should never have been raised to this position of authority in the Gestapo if oh, he is this not. easily defeated. Or two, it makes sense why the White Witch so easily took over Narnia if the greatest combatant that like keeps everyone at bay loses to a 13 year old boy. Because if a 13-year-old boy changes the tide of a warfare, like, yeah, like, of course, a white witch could easily conquer. Which I know that every 13-year-old boy thinks that they could change the tide of warfare, but no 13-year-old boy has ever been helpful in any situation ever. Unless you're David and you're slaying Goliath, and he did that because of the We'll chalk that one up to a miracle. It's literally God. Like we, like t- teenagers, just like that is a stage of life where you intrinsically do not know what you're doing, and no. that's the point of that season of life. Like, is that like Peter? Know. Peter's lucky that he didn't have like a voice crack in the middle of his attack, or like that his knees didn't buckle because he's in the middle of a growth spurt. Yeah, like, I mean, he doesn't th- even know that he's got to wipe off his sword afterward. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have experience with this man. Like he doesn't get it. Uh, but he, so, uh, this is after this lame fight, um, we, we enter what you referenced earlier, the, the response to the fight. And I like this bit, right? It says that she and Peter, uh, like she being Susan, she comes down from the tree and they felt really shaky after, you know, the, the, the killing of this wolf. And, uh, and then 
C.S. Lewis says, I won't say there wasn't kissing and crying on both sides, but in Narnia, no one thinks any of the worse for you for that, right? This is great. Like the the taking of a life in like should be significant. You yeah. don't want this to just be something glazed over. Uh, in the life of an enemy. Even in the life of an enemy, right? Uh, and so this is, I'm glad that they make this a big deal. Maybe rephrase your wording when you're talking about a brother and a sister, but yeah, whatever. It, it felt a little bit like like boyfriend coming home from war yeah. in the way that he described it, which is not what you want. Right. Maybe I know maybe that they're going to be king and queen together, but uh, not in that but not way. like that. We have to. Uh, hope. Yeah. But so now that Aslan has allowed this 13 year old to fight a bear sized wolf by himself, now it's, even though there's plenty of people that could have helped. Now it's time for the trained mythological warriors that surround him, centaurs and giant eagles, to go and take a take down this one smaller wolf uh, by themselves. Yeah, okay. Like, oh, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Why cool. not? Look, we just had to give Peter a nickname, and this was the only way to do it. Well, Chase, he gets his nickname, like, but before he can get that, Aslan, he has these beautiful words, like this giant moment in Peter's life this really big moment this is the first time he's killed someone. He, he he just killed Mogrim. He's shaking an Aslan being this, you know, beautiful uh, orator, eloquent speech maker, knows exactly what to say. He bolsters Peter's confidence by saying, you've forgotten to clean your sword. Well, as, as this chapter ends, never forget Never. to wipe your, off your sword. Yes. So Kill. this is how the this is how the chapter ends. So because and I have I have bones to pick with this. Uh one. You have says, bones to pick with this. Yes, of course I do, Chase. This is what we do with this podcast. I don't know what you where you've been the past few months. But. It's it's uh that's the the nitpicking is not what I'm laughing at. But go on. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah. I get I know. I'm just skating by. <laughs> uh, uh so Aslan. You've forgotten to clean your sword. One, why would Peter, a 13-year-old untrained swordsman, know to do this? What a weird thing to say to a 13-year-old untrained swordsman who just want you who you just let one-on-one a bear-sized wolf. What a weird thing to say. True. Two, he says, Okay, hand this sword to me and kneel, son of Adam. And when Peter had done so, he struck him with the flat of the blade and said, Rise up, Sir Peter, Wolfsbane, and whatever happens. Never forget to wipe your sword. So two, which, what? Which like, I have questions about the just physical ability yes, of Aslan yes. to hold a sword. How did Aslan hold the sword in his? Did he? Did he put it between his two paws? Did he put it in his mouth? Like, like did he? You know, whap him with the sword in the mouth? Like, did he? You know, what? How does this work? Like, you, you can't just say he handed Aslan the sword. Aslan. Well, this is why he struck him with the flat of blade, not just knighted. <laughs> There's no control. He's a lion. <laughs> like, how's he doing this? This makes no sense. But then he knights Peter, and isn't a knight lower than a king in every single like way imaginable? I mean, maybe he just hasn't he, he hasn't been kinged yet. He ha- doesn't have the crown on his head, so this is like his he's coming up. His spurs. He's he's yeah he's got to earn his spurs as as lifelong Texans we know the importance of earning also, your spurs right. C.S. Lewis mentions earning your spurs like this what what does this even mean to all these Narnians do they know what spurs are because do you know what spurs are worn by Chase humans 
humans riding, humans riding horses, horses. Do you know what they don't have in happened. It, in fact, specifically said in the magician's nephew that you're really not like right riding a don't horse ride a is horse. not a thing. Like that's a but two. There are no humans in Narnia. Do you know what spurs mean to Narnians? Nothing, Chase. So earn your yeah. spurs. What is this? This is an anachronism. This is ridiculous. But says, isn't a knight lower than a king? Like, I, I think it is, but whatever. And then whatever. the chapter ends with another C.S. Lewis piece of advice that we need to make sure that we never forget. And whatever happens, never forget to wipe your sword. We have made references to this line, and we've never joked about it. Never forget to wipe your sword. This Which, is a weird, like... Just have to point out, like, so the last half page of this chapter, we get told twice... <laughs> To clean your sword. And when Peter is told this the first time, it's like, well, it was true. Peter blushed when he looked at the bright blade and saw it all smeared with wolf's hair and blood. And just has to be reminded afterward, like, and remember, whatever happens, never forget to clean your sword. It's, there's so many things that we could say that we're not going to. But I don't know what he's trying to get at with this. Like, I, I think it's like that fatherly advice kind of moment of Aslan stepping into the role of not just like royal officiant, but also like, like fatherly counselor, which is fine. But also what an odd way to do it. Like it's, it's strange. I mean, from a practical matter, I know, like, in warfare, like, granted, I've never killed anyone, uh, especially never killed anyone with a sword. Um, but I do know that, Listen like, out, man. <laughs> when, you, when you do this, like, I know that it's important to, like, uh, like, clean your sword blade, because if you don't, like, it'll get rusty, it can get damaged, especially if you, you know, put it back in the sheath without cleaning it. Like, I get that from a practical warfare standpoint. Like, after a battle's done, you want to clean your sword or else, you know, it can damage the blade. I get it. Uh, over time, this, though. Not right. immediately. Sure. And also, is, is it part of the sword that it never rusts or, like, goes bad? Or am I making that up? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I mean, if the arrows can't be, miss, I feel like the sword should have something to it. You you might you might be mixing in some some uh some Harry Potter uh you know uh goblin made like Gryffindor sword or it's some, hard to say some they're Elven all, made Lord of the Rings swords. It uh, it's yeah, it it's uh it's the sword from uh Game of Thrones, it's the sword from Harry Potter, it's the sword from Lord of the Rings, it's King Arthur's sword, it's whatever. Which it does kind of take that role more in Prince Caspian. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's just a, this is just a weird piece of advice. I'm, I will, you know, jokes aside, because there are jokes that could be made that won't be made. Uh, I guess he's just saying like, hey, take care of your equipment. Like, take care of your things. Like, yeah, that's the again, best advice. Fatherly advice. Take care of your equipment, Kel. Like, don't, don't be irresponsible. But even saying that, there's jokes that can be made. And so I think the best way to avoid saying anything that's going to change this podcast from, you know, slightly PG to maybe PG-13 to further down is just, just, just move on. 
Move on. Let's go, I, let's go further up and further in. Yeah, move on because that's the end of the chapter. Um, let's see. Uh, you want to start off? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, so the thing I just wanted to point out with this chapter is the fact that when our kids and the beavers do go to meet Aslan, that Aslan acknowledges them by name. Like as they walk up to him, it's they've never met him before. Uh, they they don't necessarily know him yet, but he knows them, and he he addresses each of them by name without being introduced. And, and it's this kind of low key but powerful moment where we kind of see that like Aslan is at a different place on the board. Like he sees things in a different way. He is above them. He is more knowledgeable than them. And it, and it really shows that there's a plan. Like Aslan has been expecting them. Like this is not all happening by accident, but this is, uh, it kind of brings in this aspect of fate in the story. And and for for Christ gang out there, for, for those who, who are familiar with the Christian story, like part of that is this idea that like God knows and calls his people by name. That, that there is this element of personal knowledge to like God's lordship over his people. And, and that's kind of reflected here in the way that Aslan greets our heroes as they kind of join the fold as part of his team and, and get ready for, for war. Right on. Uh, so my further up and further in is uh, the first test, the first major fight or obstacle for our hero to overcome in their journey. You'll see this in a lot of fantasy and fiction stories and uh, things like that. For us in this story, it's Peter facing Mogram. Uh, it's, you know, he, he, this is his first test as a warrior to show his bravery. Think in Harry Potter, it's Harry and Ron facing the giant troll in the bathroom. This is the moment when all of the, the, the three heroes in Harry Potter really join together and become a unified force. This is their first major thing. Luke in Star Wars, this is him using the force to blow up Death Star 1, um, his first major you know, accomplishment in that, in that movie. He doesn't really do a lot until that point, you know, um, in Iron Man, this is him making his Mark one suit while fighting the 10 rings in the desert, right? This is his first battle, his first obstacle to go for him. This is Frodo and the other hobbits evading and escaping the Nazgul, uh, and making their way into Rivendell. Like you can think of examples of this in just about any story where it's, there's always this, this, test your te like test your abilities your your dip your toes into the water kind of moment to see what kind of hero you will become and can you become this hero uh and it's you know it's like the level one of a video game where it's probably not as intense as you know it will get later on but it's something important because it makes sure that you're aware that you can get to where you're going uh, so that is our first test but chase no matter what Whatever never, we do, never forget to clean. Never your forget to clean your podcast. Uh, and Chase, can you tell our listeners how they can clean this podcast? 
Yes, absolutely. The cleanest way to have this podcast is any way that you get your podcasts uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, wherever you want to find that. And we would love when you find it, if you could leave us a rating and review, uh, we would love five stars. Uh, and you can also engage with us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcast, where we post uh, new episodes and jokes and things like that. And we would love for you to engage with us there uh but yeah we will see you next time peace out this is a weird one for me uh the the last four chapters have been struggle ones like it's like dude you need to the the formation and, and flow of these are real weird and we only have three chapters after this and aslan still hasn't died like yeah, he it, hasn't resurrected, and the, the battle entire hasn't plot started. Of this book is the last like chapter of this book.